Hello and welcome back to another episode of my show. I'm Father Roderick, currently in the United States at the Star Wars Celebration, among other things. And this is also going to be Star Wars Week because, of course, it is time for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ooh, can't wait to see what they what they did. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons. Thank you if you are one of those patrons. Um, and especially a big thank you to those of you that are um, part of the higher tiers that en- enable me to make these documentaries. I'm filming in Rome, filming in the United States to bring you these stories and to share with you the kind of stuff that I've been sharing with my Dutch audience for years, but now I'm working on stuff that is for everyone, at least for those that understand English. But maybe we'll even be able to add subtitles. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I am so curious to see what I'm going to witness and experience during this Star Wars celebration. I've only been at one Star Wars celebration in my life. It was in Denver many, many years ago when Star Wars was still a bit in limbo. We hadn't seen Star Wars movies for many years. What is what is the time between The Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace? Way too long. And so... Uh, they were working on The Phantom Menace and and one of the ways in which they wanted to drum up interest for this new movie was by organizing the first fan convention organized by Lucasfilm itself. There had been Star Wars conventions in the past, um, but this was the first time that Lucasfilm acknowledged the importance of fans and building fandom. And of course, they could offer something that a lot of other conferences could never do they could show you the real deal. They could premiere uh, the trailer for the movie. They could show off the the main actors. I've seen the the all the actors from the Phantom Menace in person. I was able to ask them questions. I had a long conversation with uh, with Warwick Davis. We talked with uh, I talked with um, uh, Jack Jack Lloyd, the guy who plays Anakin and his sister and his parents talked with Rick McCallum, who at the time was the producer. I had a long talk with Ben Burt, the sound engineer for the Star Wars movies. Um, Ray Park, the guy who plays Darth Maul, super nice guy. Um, The actress, what's her name again, who plays Shmi Skywalker, the mother of... uh, of Anakin. Amit Best, who would play Jar Jar, a very funny, super sympathetic guy, and 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 uh, Anthony Daniels, who was super engaged with the fans. He was walking around on the premises, talking to all the fans, uh, telling stories. He was also the main host of the event, so he would walk around with this microphone, and if we had a question, we could raise our hands. I remember asking Rick McCallum about the new planets that we were going to see in the Phantom Menace, and and just having that interaction and being so close to these people that have had such an impact on your imagination, on your life, on your youth. Um, I will never forget it. The, the weather was horrible. It was raining and raining and raining. It was cold. The thing was on a abandoned airport, uh, like a military airport, I think. And uh, the, the, the whole event was taking place in these big white tents 
um, that that would totally not be enough nowadays. I think that even part of the event was inside a museum. I think an aircraft museum, museum or something like that. Uh, it, it was just oh wow, what my my windows all of a sudden starts bleeping and blooping. It's complaining about USB devices not being recognized. Why is that? Oh, maybe the computer is overheating. <laughs> this happens from time to time. So I've got this IKEA desk and the PC, the old PC, um, is inside uh, basically a locker. And in, in, in order to sit at this desk, I have to close the door. But then it starts heating up. Of course, these old PCs use a lot of electricity and generate a lot of heat. And then sometimes when it gets overheating, uh, or when it's overheating, it starts giving me these USB errors for some reason. Anyway, nothing to worry about. So, of course, now nowadays, Star Wars celebrations have become this massive, <laughs> gigantic event, very commercial, uh, super organized, but it's more akin to Comic-Con than, than the kind of the almost amateur-like vibe of the first one. And yet... I'm still looking forward to going there. There's nothing that beats the, the real thing. I love going to all these different fantasy fairs, but this is the only opportunity to get uh, in, in, in touch with, with Lucasfilm and what they have in store. And of course, there's more Star Wars than ever before in my life. And, and the Star Wars celebration is the place where we get glimpses of that. Uh, and, and even if I probably won't be able to go to any of the talks because you have to stand in line for weeks in order to get in, I'm still going to soak it all up and, and, and film for hours and hours and hours. I, I can't wait to share all this with you. So stay tuned. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Since this is, uh, these next three weeks are going to be, for me, mostly themed by Star Wars, I figured it might be interesting, instead of doing reviews of current movies or TV shows, to go back in time and to, to let you know my thoughts uh, of these three trilogies of Star Wars. We'll start with the original trilogy uh, this week. Next week, I'll talk about the prequels and what I think of the prequels, what I thought of the prequels back then and what I think about them now. And then we'll end with the sequels. Um, so let's start uh, with the original trilogy. As I said in uh, in this week's episode of The Walk, I've, I saw this original movie, A New Hope, which back then was just called Star Wars, in a movie theater. I was eight years old, I think, and my life changed because that movie, more than any other th uh, story, uh, determined my imagination. Um, it, it, it was so captivating. I was such a massive fan uh, that I just couldn't forget about that movie, and I, I wanted more. Uh, but I, since then, I've watched this movie countless times i had it on vhs cassette on on dvd uh multiple versions on blu-ray uh i've got them now on stream uh, on, on 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 disney of course in 4k i have not bought the 4k discs uh because it doesn't really add much to the experience the, the disney versions are really really high quality and uh and this is different between disney plus for instance and 
Netflix, they don't compress the video as much as Netflix does. So um, I love the original trilogy because it's it's the story itself has hold up. The special effects, the acting, the way the movie looks, it all holds up. There is nothing in there that, for me, is jarring. And even the fact that, that, that nowadays, if you look at the series, the TV series, the, the, the Empire personnel still has these mustaches and the, the sideburns that were very much very hip in the 70s. The fact that they stayed consistently consistent with those, those, that, that, that type of, uh, those type of haircuts makes it almost iconically Star Wars, whether normally this would date a movie, but they've always kept the same style throughout the, 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 the decades. And I think that's genius. And there, there are, of course, some things that have changed. The special effects have become much better. Um, but And then, of course, George Lucas started to tamper with the original trilogy and has replaced a lot of the special effects that he was not happy with by something that, in his eyes, looked more up-to-date. But now, those are the sore thumbs that stick out. The, 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 the additions that he made to the original trilogy and the special editions are all dated. You can tell, oh, that's horrible CGI. That We would never do something like that anymore like this. Um, there was... Um, I th- Was it Pablo Hidalgo? I'm following a couple of these Star Wars creators on uh, on Twitter. Someone asked him, will you ever go back and, and do a re- another special edition of the special editions? In other words, would you redo what George Lucas tried to do when he, when he tried to, um, to update the special effects? And then the answer was like, well, probably not. I'm, I'm more, I think it was Pablo Hidalgo. He said, I'm more of the, of the, the group of people that thinks you should leave movies alone. It is what it is. And and if we were ever to do something like that, we couldn't do it without George Lucas. It has to be under supervision of the author. Otherwise, where does it stop? When do you start stop tinkering? And in a certain way, I kind of miss the fact that we have never, after these special editions, we've never been able to see the originals, the way they were uh, presented to us in, in movie theaters. That might have been a very jarring experience because you would notice the, the lousy quality of the special effects at the time and and there was a lot even the audio mix was pretty mediocre and they've they've improved on it over the years so much that you probably would be shocked to if you see if you see what the movie actually looked like when it first entered theaters but of course we, we you know nostalgia has a tendency to embellish those experiences so the the movie that I remember seeing as a kid, is way better than it probably was, uh, and and but I still um, I'm more of the of the a group of people th- that says yeah go redo the special editions do them better th- 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 these movies deserve another another uh, um, how you say that another polishing what for some reason my computer thinks or this is the iPad thing so that what on the web for what's another polishing check it out seriously siri is crazy (laughs) what do you do listening in on my podcast normally siri never answers me like i ask a question like i can't find that just look at these websites siri is completely useless um (laughs) 
at least to me. And now I'm in the middle of a podcast and Siri's like, uh, what? Polishing? Yeah, I can help you with that. What? <laughs> no. But I believe that, that the, right now the, the CGI is at the level where you can do something that would totally match the original material. They could fix a lot of the mismatch between the old and the new. I'm all for it. Maybe one day they can convince George Lucas to uh, support something like that, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. But one can dream, right? <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always telling you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? In this episode, I want to talk about the liturgy in the Vatican. Now, of course, this is not by accident, since uh, I was in Rome. I was on St. Peter's Square. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. You would think if there is one place in the world where they have good liturgy, it must be in the heart of the church, right? It has to be in the Vatican. They they should be the like the Michelin, three-star Michelin uh, place of reference for everything liturgy. But it's not. Honestly, it's not. The, the Vatican liturgy, if I would have to rate it, I would give it a 6 out of 10. It's absolutely not as beautiful as liturgy that I've experienced everywhere. Which of course begs the question what what is your you know the what are the best places to experience liturgy in the world? And and that's a hard one because it it's a matter of taste obviously. What works for you won't work for me. But I, I can I can tell you a, a few places where I felt that liturgy just became magical. Um, and, and one of them was in France with a good friend of mine who uh, lives there as a hermit. And the local village has given him an old medieval church to use because nobody was using that church. It's a bit out in the, in the, in the vineyards, among the vineyards. Uh, it's, it's a very old, just <laughs> almost... It's almost more of a rune than a real church. But I stayed there for two days filming a, a documentary about his life. And we celebrated the liturgy of the hours and mass together in that chapel. And it was one of the most transforming moments uh, when it comes to liturgy in my life. It was so beautiful. The acoustics were beautiful. We, we both are kind of raised in the French tradition of liturgy, so we know the same songs, the same melodies. Uh, French liturgical music is beautiful. The language is beautiful for liturgy. It's my all-time favorite language for everything, but especially for prayer. And being there and, and the simplicity of that building is a Roman church, and it's so old. And you realize when you're, when you're celebrating Mass there that, that like 10 centuries ago, priests were already standing here at this exact place celebrating the same mass uh, praying the same prayers the same psalms it was something that that just 
all of a sudden just took me out of of time and space and and you feel the connection with all these generations before you the liturgy itself couldn't be simpler but there was the simplicity itself was what touched me so much so that was that's a, a i will never forget that and i always kind of think back of like i should go back there i had the time of my life there i did these two days were so impactful on on, on how i live my priesthood why wouldn't i go back there now that I'm saying it, maybe I will. Maybe I'll just get on a train because you can't get get there through air, by airport, uh, by airplane, and just go there, spend some time there. F- uh, Father uh, Theo unfortunately has gotten ill. He's had a whole host of uh, medical issues. Um, so for treatment, he's often in the Netherlands for for extended periods of time. They can't really fix it. Um, which, of course, is very dramatic because he gave up the life in a parish to go to France to live as a hermit, and now his body basically is, is forcing him back to the Netherlands and to just basic, always be in hospitals. But every once in a while, he'll, he'll still be in France, and he hopes to return there if they can ever heal him. Um, oh, by the way, if, if you... Um, I, I correspond with him from time to time, and he told me that his iPad and his phone are he's he's an an Apple guy uh and he said his iPad is super old and it's getting very slow he uses his iPad for liturgy for 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 the psalms and everything and he said that the thing barely moves and the same thing for his phone his phone is years and years and years old and so he was asking me do do you have uh, uh do you have like do you get a discount from Apple he thinks that I'm like super into technology <laughs> Because I, I, I actually I need a new phone, a <laughs> new iPad, or at least something a bit more up to date than what I currently have. Um, and I, re- I, I was like, well, maybe I can just put the word out here. Maybe some of you have, may have a, a, a slightly, it doesn't have to be the, a top-notch phone, but if you replace your phone every two years and you may have one lying around that you, you don't know what to do with, uh, let me know. Um, I, I, you can send it to me um, as a second-hand thing, and I, I can hand it over to uh, to Father Theo. Or if you need to be reimbursed, get in touch with me. I'm, I'd gladly uh, pay for 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 him to to have a new phone because I that's those are the only two pieces of of. Uh, and his laptop, his laptop broke, but he has already bought a new laptop himself from his savings. But he doesn't have money for the iPad and the and, and, and an iPhone. So I was like, ah, we should help this guy. He's he's a, an amazing. He's just a, more than a friend. He, he, for me, he is just one of the priests that I admire the most, and I just really want to help him. But maybe you can help me help him. So let me know if you have a like a, a spare iPad lying around that you don't know what to do with. I I know someone who will use it to pray for you <laughs> five times a day. <laughs> just get in touch with me you know how to find me um but i was talking about liturgy so that that would be my happy place when it comes to liturgy the vatican lots, lots of people are like oh i would like to celebrate mass there with pope francis you know there are a lot of things i don't like about vatican liturgy first of all the songs the music they have this this uh choir um that only sings for you know vatican liturgy and they have this tradition of Baroque music and a certain voice training that is very Italian, but so out of date. 
Like everybody sings with this vibrato in their voices. And and it it, it ooh, is jarring. And then they, they use an organ outside where there's the acoustics are horrible. The organ itself is a portable organ, so it isn't ugh. Compared to the organs that we use in, in Dutch churches, it's such a horrible thing. And so, and, and because of the acoustics of St. Peter's Square, which was built to impress, but not to sound good, there's echo, there is this, ah, uh, yeah, 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 it doesn't work. And then these, the, the, the choral music is so old-fashioned because it's performative. It's like you're listening to uh, a classical music thing, and, 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 but you're not you're not you can't sing along and it just goes on and on and all these songs and hymns are so long and boring and blah. no I, I i've there are exceptions there were moments like world youth days or sometimes during celebrations with pope john paul ii you would have these these special liturgies they even had a priest who composed beautiful music new music for these liturgies and that that there were moments that I was deeply moved. But in general, when you go to a canonization ceremony or Easter, I, I, I can't wait for this stuff to be over. And so another thing that I don't like is the uh, concelebration. So you would think as a priest, concelebrating with Pope Francis, you wouldn't want to do that. Well, I'm raising my hand. I am not a fan of that because when, they, when you are concelebrating, Yes, you get to sit a little bit closer to the to the altar, but then halfway through the through, through the movie, halfway through mass, they will take you aside. They will bring you into the the basilica because you you need to distribute communion, and so for whatever reason they you they, they force you to leave your chair. You miss half of the mass, and then they they give you all sorts of instructions, and then they tell you to go to the altar, and then. The, Pope Francis is, is consecrating hosts in, in containers that are like 10, 20 meters away from the altar. And, and, and I know it's all for convenience and to make sure that the distribution of communion doesn't take up too much time. But the whole thing is so, feels so detached from the actual celebration. It feels it feels wrong. I've always been very uncomfortable. The few times that I can celebrate it there and 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 distribute his communion, and then communion itself, all these people running and like they, I cannot. It's very difficult to to do to distribute communion in a dignified way because there's so much chaos, and you have so little control over the the overall atmosphere. And it seems like people just like oh, I need communion, and they they they, they just kind of push each other away to get community. Not everybody, but it always leaves me with a bit of a sour taste afterwards. I'm thinking, maybe you should not celebrate Mass with this huge crowd. It's just not feasible to do it in a dignified way. Inside the Basilica, it's slightly better, I have to say. But even there, not my favorite. Um, that Yeah, so that's why... The, the the last thing that I don't like is the, just the dominance of the Italian language, as if the world only speaks Italian. That's a certain certain Italian arrogance in the Vatican that has bugged me for twenty years now, like press releases that are only published in Italian, whereas the entire world press is there. Can you at least hire a few people that can translate this in English? Why is it possible that the top level uh, people working in the Vatican don't speak English? Or speak it in such a way that you need a translator 
to help you understand what he, he's trying to say. Like, come on. We, this is 2022. Italy, sure, nice country, nice language. But most of the people in the world don't speak Italian. So please, learn from the past when the church was speaking Latin. Why? Because Latin was a universal language. Italian is not a universal language at all. And it's arrogant to think that everybody should just adapt to the Vatican by speaking Italian. The Vatican isn't even Italy. It's a different country. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what are they thinking? I don't understand. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? As you know, I read very, very different books. I've got a whole diverse lineup, and it goes from science fiction to fantasy to psychology to astronomy. Uh, it, I, and I love that, and I love switching between these books. So I'm currently reading a book called... The, the title itself never would incite me to read it, but I got a tip from a friend who said, this is a good book, read this. And so I started reading, and I was like, whoa, I'm so glad that I didn't just watch, look at the title to determine if this was something for me. The title, namely, is The Tao of Fully Feeling. Tao, T-A-O. The Tao of Fully Feeling. That sounds so vague. And the subtitle is Harvesting Forgiveness Out of Blame. The cover is really wacky, very new agey. The author is Pete Walker. So I... Start reading this book solely on the recommendation of this friend. But I'm thinking the Tao of fully feeling harvesting forgiveness out of blame. Man, seriously? Am I going to read this? And then I start reading it, and oh my gosh, it's good. It's so good. So Pete Walker describes um, the impact of trauma in life, uh, especially, especially trauma uh, that you've experienced uh, when you were young and how that impacts people's behavior uh, and, and, and in different degrees. It can be just minor trauma or, or huge trauma. But he also describes the mechanisms and how we compensate our, our coping mechanisms and also how to cope with your coping mechanisms and how to start, like, for instance, anger, rage about your past, blaming people that have messed you up. Very often we don't allow us... We don't allow ourselves to do that, especially when you're a Christian or a priest like me. Is like I, I, I should, I should be forgiving. I should, I should. But this book really stresses how uh, that yes, forgiveness may be one of the goals in the future, but you you cannot ju jump over all the other stuff that is necessary to process and deal with trauma, anger. And rage and disappointment is all part of what you need to go through in order to heal. And it's okay to experience these feelings because you are not your feelings. But you still have to, you should not suppress them. You should create a safe environment in which you can ex express those feelings. And you can be maybe angry and disappointed because once it's out... You can step back from it. If it's just inside, it's going to destroy you from the inside. Stuff like that. I, I mean, I'm just giving it in a very, very broad strokes here uh, because I'm not a psychologist. But it is 
so recognizable. I've been reading this book, and and constantly I'm thinking, this is about me. This is about me. This is about me. <laughs> and and what I really appreciate is is how much it it it, it reassures you. It's like you're not crazy. And, and you're not a lost cause. And what you're feeling is okay. It's normal. It may not be the end of all things. You're not supposed to, to stay stuck in this. But don't be afraid to go through it. This is part of the process. This is normal. And this is, this is integral to, to the process of healing. Now, of course, <clears throat> this is also what you would probably experience when you go through therapy and but not everybody is able to follow therapy but a book like this is very eye-opening and it can at least show you uh, give you some pointers as to what it describes behavior that you always thought was like yeah shouldn't i be over this no it's perfectly normal and it's nor it's logical that you're reacting like this so it's it's being merciful towards yourself and allowing yourself to feel that's that's the main premise of this book because we usually we we are afraid of our feelings because we don't we've never learned how to stay in control and at the same time to still allow those feelings to do what they do and that is to signal pain and to signal wounds that is so it is you're not your feelings because the feelings are a signal of something being wrong and then you can always decide what to do with it. This is this is the kind of stuff that you find in this book. Um, I've learned a ton of things. I'm halfway through the book, um, but I can already recommend it. So it's called The Tao of Fully Feeling. It's not a replacement for therapy, but it's definitely maybe the beginning. Uh, it gives a lot of insight in how we function and some possible ways to deal with it. Uh, the author is Pete Walker. <laughs> As you know, I'm constantly fascinated by space exploration. And there was this one animation that I saw the other day on a website called sciencealert.com. And it was a very simple animation that is meant to show you the true scale of our solar system. So it begins with the planet that we're most familiar with, Earth and the moon. And it shows you, uh, you see the Earth turning around its axis and the moon and Mars, because those two are more or less the same size. Mars is slightly smaller. And then the, the animation zooms out and you see other planets like Mercury and uh, even Pluto. Did you know that Pluto is smaller than the moon? I had no idea. It's like a tiny speck, incredibly small. Um, so that was like, oh, wow, wait. And then you see all of a sudden Uranus and, and, and Neptune. And it's like, whoa, these are, these are huge. I always figured that they would be around the same size as Pluto. But man, there's no comparison. These, these are massive planets. And then it zooms out even more and you see Jupiter and Saturn. Whoa, that is so big. And then, ultimately, it shows you the sun. And, and like, uh, Jupiter and Saturn that, that I thought were massive, they're just tiny marbles compared to the sun. It is a, it's really mind-blowing. Very, very impressive. I'll link to the animation in the show notes. But 
Good Lord. And this is just our solar system, which in itself is a speck of dust compared to the to the, the galaxy that we're part of, which if you compare them to the entire galaxy, you know, it's just our, our, our current Milky Way, that's a speck of dust compared to the entire the, the rest of the of the galaxy it's it's just mind boggling so big we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean let's plug it in it's going to say hey i see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers you'll notice that this scanner built whoa well all your technology stuff it just it's a disaster. But there is one more thing. So I was at this fantasy fair and I bump into uh, three, three young people that I always cross when I go to events like that. And uh, they are very, very kind. Um, the, 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 the guy and his girlfriend are both Catholic. And so they've been raised Catholic, and, and they knew me from TV. So they were so excited to see me there at that fantasy fair. And uh, so we had many conversations. Very, very cool people, so kind. And then they have their friend who's also always with them, the three of them. And uh, he works at a Lego store in, in Utrecht uh, twice a, uh, a week. And he makes costumes himself. Uh, so we had this conversation, and I don't know how we got to the, to the topic, onto the topic of gaming. And he was telling me, I'm, I'm looking for an Xbox controller because I like video games, but I, I've, up until now I've been using this uh, PlayStation 3 controller but it's uh, it's getting old and it doesn't function anymore. And so I would love to have like one of those uh, wireless controllers to play my PC games, but they are so expensive. They're 60 bucks. I That's way more than I can afford. And then I remembered, like, but I have a spare one. In fact, I have one that I just repaired. And this is true. I have the Xbox. Um, I've got both the Xbox One and the Xbox Series X. And every Xbox comes with a controller. The, the The previous model actually came with two controllers, I think. Or maybe I bought a secondary one for whatever reason. I don't know. But I have two controllers for one Xbox. And like three years ago, I was playing a video game uh, in the living room. And uh, the, I love these controllers. I, I think they're the best controllers ever. They really fit my my. my the size of my hands, and they're very comfortable to play with. But at one point, I uh, I got thirsty, and I had a glass of lemonade on the ground next to my chair. So I I wanted to put down the controller and take the glass and take a sip of the of the lemonade. And you guess what happens? I I accidentally, without looking put the controller on the glass of lemonade, knocking it over, and the contents of the lemonade enters, is all over the controller. And it was not the sugar-free type. It was just very, very sticky. And so, oh, man. like This reminds me of a certain incident with a MacBook Pro uh, during a podcast where I knocked over a glass of water over an, a laptop. And it was not my laptop. Ouch. It all came back to me. So that controller from that moment on, of course, I put it immediately. I, I tried to wipe off the, the, the sticky liquid, put it on the, on the, uh, the heater. Uh, 
But then afterwards, whenever I I turned it on, uh, the the right button, the shooter button, shoulder button was stuck. And and so it, it registered as if I was constantly pushing the 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 what is it the, the the shoulder button. So it was completely unusable if I if I would turn on the Xbox and that controller, the cursor would just go all over the place, and I w- was unable to to gain control over the Xbox. And so I, I was so frustrated, man. I can't I clean this? Is there a way to do this? And then I just gave up, and I used the other controller. But I was frustrated because it's an expensive thing and a little bit of... I mean, I shouldn't be the only one who has accidents like that. And I was just frustrated that a 60 bucks controller was now completely useless because of one, one mistake, one glass of lemonade. But right before I went to that fantasy uh, fair, I, I was like, you know what? What do I have to lose? I'm just going to look up. There must be other people that have gone through this. There may be a way to open this thing and, and clean it out. And it's possible that the liquid just fried the entire inner circuitry. In that case, you know, it's, it's going to be broken. But it's not going to heal itself. It's not going to repair itself. Um, I want to figure out how to, well, at least how to see what, what's, what happened on the inside. So I found a, a YouTube video. Um, describing exactly this problem, like sticky liquid, uh, stuck shoulder button. And then that video showed you only need a screwdriver. You don't even need to open the controller. You just have to push a little black piece of plastic underneath the, on the underside of the controller, which I did, and then the shoulder button just clicked back in place and functions without a hitch. So there's no problem whatsoever with that controller. So uh, I told I told the guy I was like, "Hey, I just I just repaired one of my controllers." I told the story. Would you be interested? Yeah, sure. So now we're, we're next time I'm in in Utrecht and he's uh, it's one of his working days at the Lego store. I'll uh, I'll go visit him and uh, and hand him over my controller. It was lost anyway. So yeah. The resurrection of my Xbox controller. I couldn't be happier. And with that, it is time to wrap up this episode of my weekly show. For my patrons, there's another episode of Father Roderick to the Max coming up. And in that episode, I will talk about extreme fatigue and how to do low-energy tasks when you're tired. I will explain some of my tricks to cook on a budget really on a shoestring budget I will share some writing advice from South Park but it's going to be good Uh, we'll talk of course about uh, Obi-Wan Valheim and why cheating makes everything boring (laughs) talking about cheating in game right and uh, and much much more all that coming up on the Patreon exclusive podcast Father Roderick to the Max available in your feed um, tomorrow probably and if you want to join the Patreon community go to patreon.com slash fatheroderick talk to you next week have a great week and see you later mm-hmm.